Well, a big welcome to our nephew community, and I'm very excited about our podcast today. Our mission at Nephew is to improve the future outcomes for individuals with kidney disease and other related conditions. My name is Sean George, Medical Science Director with Otsuka. I'll be serving as your host for today's podcast. I'm very fortunate to have Dr. Brute Workinay join me today to share his expertise on this very important topic about initiating dialysis. When is the right time? Dr. Workinay is not a stranger to our podcast channel. Um, just as an introduction, he is a board-certified internist and nephrologist. He is a professor in the renal section and the dialysis medical director at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. He completed medical school at the University of Texas McGovern Medical School in Houston, his residency training at University of Texas Medical Branch, and clinical and research fellowship at Stanford University. His clinical interests over the years have included body compositional changes in CKD and transplant, home-based dialysis, and onconephrology. Dr. Workinay, thank you so much for joining us again today. Happy to be here, Sean, and uh, uh, happy to take on this topic, very important topic. So, Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I think last time we were talking kidney stones, this time we're talking about initiating dialysis. So um, let's just jump right into it. So today we are addressing this complex question on when the right time it is to initiate dialysis. And so look, to start off, this is not an easy conversation to have with patients. Uh, These are people you've been following for years and years, and their kidney function has been gradually declining over time. Uh, You may have mentioned to them at some point that this would be coming down the road, but there's definitely not a more difficult conversation to have than that day you sit down with them and say, it's time to start dialysis. I remember whenever I was um, a clinician and managing these patients that were uh, slowly progressing to CKD stage five or ESRD. And there's definitely a shock factor with this, even though they kind of knew it was coming or you might've mentioned it, you know, when they were in late CKD stage four, you know, that we need to start talking about accesses and those kind of things. But um, again, you know, it is a shocking thing to hear that it's time to start. So that brings me to my first question to you, Dr. Workinay. At what point do you start having that conversation with the patients on initiating dialysis? Thank you so much, Sean, for that question. Um, as you mentioned, uh, it's not um, easy news to break to patients that their kidneys um, are have failed and uh, they can no longer sustain uh, life without um, uh, some form of equipment, some sort of uh, some form of renal replacement therapy, which we'll talk about. Um, and um, it's tantamount to uh, any other major diagnosis on the level of um, uh, finding out uh, you might have cancer or you have heart disease. Um, mm-hmm. For a kidney to fail, that's a major organ. And uh, that day is, um, uh, is, is, you know, when patients receive that kind of news, um, it's not easy news to share and also, more importantly, to receive. Um, and so hopefully uh, the physician uh, has a good relationship um, with the patient. That's not always the case. 
um, in your preface, uh, you mentioned that that a uh, uh, physician and nephrologist has talked to the patient uh, over a course of time, and often that's just not the case. Um, often uh, I've had in my career where I'm breaking the news, and I'm the first I'm the I'm the first nephrologist that the patient has ever seen, and so those are heartbreaking um, situations where. Uh, you know, there's absolutely nothing I can do at that point uh, to reverse the uh, disease process or to slow it down. Um, so in an ideal situation, you are seeing uh, your PCP every year, getting um, appropriate, age-appropriate um, screening tests uh, of kidney function and anything that would indicate um, problems with kidney, with your kidneys, such as hypertension, diabetes, um, protein in the urine, things like that. So, um, but for those that uh, are being followed and are receiving regular screening um, for kidney disease, uh, then uh, the alarm should go up once the EGFR uh, falls below 60. Uh, so certainly when, um, you know, our audience um, is... Uh, fairly savvy, and they understand the stages of kidney disease. There's stage one, two, all the way to stage five um, chronic kidney disease. Uh, so certainly, uh, once the patient sees stage three chronic kidney disease, uh, perhaps the, um, uh, the primary doctor should send uh, the patient to uh, see a nephrologist. And so, uh, as you mentioned, uh, from that point on, we aggressively try to mitigate uh, the uh, progression of, of chronic kidney disease. And um, there is a specific stage where we do broach um, uh, the uh, notion or the idea of renal replacement or dialysis. And that's when patients enter stage four chronic Jeez. kidney disease. And our audience knows that we, um, we uh, define this as an EGFR, that's an estimated uh, glomerular filtration rate of uh, less than 30 mils per minute. Um, and, and so once your G EGFR hits 30 or below, then an, um, our, uh, and there are guidelines for this, our, all our major societies recommend that we begin discussing, uh, planning the seed about, well, what are we going to do if uh, this is a progressive disease and the patient in a year, two years, five years, any period of time, everyone is, every case is, is different. Um, you know, what are we going to do if uh, the kidneys uh, aren't able to sustain life? And, uh, and so that's the point where uh, we introduced the idea of, of renal replacement. And renal replacement is general, a general term for a reason. It not only includes dialysis, the home-based dialysis, the hemodialysis or blood-based dialysis, but it also includes kidney transplantation. Uh, and so once uh, the EGFR um, starts careening towards um, 20, 20 mLs per minute, then at that point, typically, uh, we refer out to a transplant center uh, so that the patient, um, you know, in an ideal case, uh, perhaps has a donor and may never see uh, or have a need for uh, dialysis and 
So in the ideal situation, patients receive preemptive transplants. So that's hopefully answers your question about when education should start. Yeah. It is right at stage four uh, CKD when the EGFR is 30. Yeah. Yeah. And even at that time, they're, pro- they're probably surprised to hear the word dialysis. They, they may not necessarily want to hear that word and nobody wants to hear it at any point. But, um, you know, as far as initiating dialysis, though, um, it's not a one size fit all approach, right? I mean, it depends on the patient. If the patient is uremic, um, you know, patients may start exhibiting signs and symptoms with the GFR of 14, or they may do so, you know, later on with the GFR of six. So it just, it just kind of depends on the patient as to when you actually want to initiate dialysis. Of course, there's all the pre-planning stuff, right? You, you accesses, ensuring that they have a fistula or a graft placed. And, um, you know, if they're going to do PD, you know, a dialysis, a 10 cough catheter. So, um, you know, those kind of things. So I think, I think that's, yeah, we can talk through that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I want to ask you, like, as far as um, guidelines go, right? An expert consensus goes, is there anything out there as far as what the right time is for initiating dialysis? I will boil down 40, 50 years of research in a simple sentence, which is yeah. the optimal time The optimal time to start dialysis is unknown. Yeah. Um, certainly, everyone is different. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned before, once your GFR falls below 30, you have some lead time to plan uh, about everything you mentioned about, um, getting access and, and, uh, you know, not being surprised and, uh, decreasing the shock factor and, and most importantly, uh, staying healthy and avoiding complications. But, yeah. uh, in terms of when, uh, patients, uh, require dialysis, um, KDGO and many other, um, iterations of, uh, you know, various societies, uh, they've, um, uh, recommended that, um, that if your GFR or eGFR falls below 15, yes. then, uh, and, and, and patients have symptoms or demonstrating symptoms, then at that point, uh, dialysis should be considered. Uh, so it's not just the number where your eGFR, it's not like 15 is a magic number. Uh, historically, it's been uh, 15 for diabetic patients and less than 10 in non-diabetic patients. Uh, but uh, the general consensus is now is, is if it's less than 15 and uh, uh, in consultation with your doctor, if the doctor feels like the patient's symptomatic from the kidney disease, then at that point, um, then um, uh, the dialysis is, then dialysis would be indicated. Uh, But it's, uh, like you mentioned, very complicated. You know, Mm -hmm. imagine, you know, just a scenario where you have heart failure, you have ischemic cardiomyopathy or, uh, liver disease or uh, other comorbid uh, disease, then uh, that complicates things. If a patient, for example, has had several admissions for volume overload um, yep. as the patient declines, then perhaps uh, dialysis would be indicated a little sooner than the next person without heart failure, for example. Um, and so uh, comorbid uh, disease is also a consideration Uh is uh, the patient suffering from hyperkalemia despite not having a lot of symptoms and, um, you know, 
uh, diet restriction or binders aren't working, this, you know, or if there's um, excess acid that's building up that can't be neutralized. Uh, I mean, there's uh, any number of, of, uh, of, of symptoms. The laundry list of uremic symptoms are ver- is very long. Yes. Um, so there are subtle uremic symptoms that can be managed, but once nausea turns into uh, weight loss and loss of muscle mass and yep. energy um, where the patient can no longer uh, support themselves, uh, aren't independent, can't go to work, um, where they, if they have difficulty concentrating or, or uh, those are symptoms where you would lean you towards um, recommending dialysis sooner than later. But there's some also some mild symptoms if the nausea is periodic and the itching, for example, or the pruritus is manageable. Mm-hmm. Then, then perhaps, you know, with, with dietary and behavioral modification that can be managed, um, um, but it gets uh, more tricky as the GFR falls. So once your GFR falls below 10, then your wiggle room Oh, your 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 diet gets more restrictive. Uh, your ability to manage volume and manage blood pressure it gets harder to manage blood pressure, so on and so forth. It gets it gets harder and harder. And so there's a um, uh, it, there's a, um, a a sweet spot where uh, in the estimation of of the nephrologist and consultation with the patient. Um, both decide that it's in the patient's best interest to start dialysis. So there's no magic number, uh, but right. certainly once uh, the GFR hits 15 and uh, everything I mentioned in terms of symptoms and signs and, and a comorbid disease are at play, and that's what makes it complicated. And uh, that's why uh, nephrologists really needs to be involved in the care of these uh, patients with advanced uh, uh, kidney disease. Yeah, no, that's that's a, a great great information, great answer to that question, um, which actually leads me into my next question: Are there benefits to starting patients on dialysis before they become uremic? Uh, this is a question that's been um, asked and and answered in 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 various ways. Um, the in general, there's no mortality benefit to starting dialysis earlier. Um, even with just mild um, symptoms, it's a legitimate hypothesis. Uh, but uh, when um, when factors are controlled, um, comparing apples and apples, um, there's really no mortality benefit to starting dialysis earlier. So that's why it's uh, it's a conversation, and that's why it should be something that is um, shared decision. Um, yeah, and. And so it really depends on comorbid uh, conditions, uh, symptom burden. Uh, and those are the uh, real drivers of, of recommending dialysis or not. Now, there are times where um, I'll mention a couple of things. Um, mm-hmm. So the first is if you wait too long, wait too long, and you let that GFR fall too low, uh, then the consequences can be lethal. So... Yeah, uh, that's, that's a very sobering thought. But if you certainly, if a patient is really resistant uh, to starting dialysis, and the, the risk is always uh, cardiac arrest uh, or some other cardiovascular uh, acute cardiovascular complication, and so um, arrhythmias, things like that. And so, 
Yes. Uh, that's why it's important to really inform your patient about the risks and to be honest, which brings me to the second point. Some patients really are resisting the idea to start dialysis and and they may misrepresent misrepresent the burden of disease, may misrepresent the degree to which they're having uh, some of these uh, uremic symptoms. Uh, and so, um, so anyway, I think uh, as a uh, effective nephrologist, you want to really connect with your patient and um, also see the signs, talk to bring in family members because family members um, uh, in most cases love their uh, family member and, and also share uh, things that are important to uh, us as far as making uh, decisions about, um, uh, about whether or not to initiate dialysis. Yeah. No, you brought up some great points there, like waiting too long, right? Like their GFR is starting to fall in the single digits, like let's say down to seven or six. I mean, you're running the risk of electrolyte abnormalities, like you said, hyperkalemia um, and, you know, causing arrhythmias and also fluid overload becomes a concern at that point. So there is definitely risks to waiting too long, that being said, though, um, in your experience, in your clinical experience, you're sitting down with the patient and you're talking to them about their options. How hard is it to convince them that they need to start dialysis now? Do you get a lot of, of pushback? Like, no, it's just a little fatigue. You know, it's, you know, yeah, I'm itching a little. You know, I, I think I can wait a couple more months. Give me a couple more months. Do you have patients that resist to that, to that degree? You know, that's a good question. Um, I would say it's the uh, minority, uh, the vast majority of patients are open and honest and they're interested in, in staying healthy. And I, and they believe that I'm, I'm, I have their best interests at heart. And so uh, hopefully you have that um, trusting relationship, doctor patient relationship where, um, whereby, uh, you know, patients are willing to share um, details about uh, how they feel. Um, and so I would say it's very, very rare uh, that it happens where patients um, misrepresent what um, they're experiencing. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, they look around, they want to stay alive, they want to be around for their families. Um, but um, I mentioned that to uh, always keep your antennas up because certainly that uh, in my clinical experience, it, there have been cases where patients have been resistant. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so and then you have to figure out, well, um, you know, if, um, you know, what, what, what are the barriers to starting dialysis? Is it, are, are you worried about lifestyle? Are you worried about, you know, are you afraid of needles? There's needle phobia that's very strong. Uh, there's, uh, there's, you know, um, there's just, plain old afraid of, of, of dialysis because maybe they have family members who are on it and didn't do well. So you have to spend the time and with us, the mm -hmm. key spending time with patients and eventually you get them to open up and feel what they're, what they're um, most afraid about. And you can minister to that. You can um, give them hope, uh, let them know uh, how many people are on living with kidney failure on dialysis and that, you know, uh, in the ideal case, hopefully they're candidates for kidney transplant and they're uh, hopefully by then on the list. And that's an ideal scenario, but that's not always the case. Right. Um, so that's, that's a good, good question. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I think uh, counseling is um, is a very, very important piece, especially in this patient population, right? Any, any patient really with a chronic disease, um, you want to ensure that you're actually taking the time out to do proper counseling and not just the patient, but the family members as well. Because once they get to that, that point, right, of end-stage renal disease and they're starting dialysis, they're going to need the, the support of their family members as well, or whoever their caretakers might be. So um, to get them comfortable, I mean, do you ever actually take them into the dialysis unit and kind of get them exposed to what the environment looks like? Because I think part of the fear is that, you know, the going into the dialysis unit, what that might look like, and just kind of the, the doubts about wanting to start because of that reason. Um, is do you do anything like that where you take them in and show them this is what it looks like and this is what's done um on once you're on treatment um do you do any kind of like i guess it's a kind of an exposure therapy all the time so yeah uh what i do typically when they're stage four is um show them a video show them all the options mm-hmm. uh, have interest to um you know if it's a clinic where they have home therapies available um, and also an, uh, adjacent to an in-center, they can uh, for uh, the facility and, uh, and you know, with the patient, other patients' permission even uh, have them meet and see how life is on, for example, peritoneal dialysis or home hemodialysis. And yeah. so they wrap their hands, their heads around it. And I've had a lot of patients who were initially resistant, but have come around. And that's what I meant about um, you know, ministering to their anxieties. And so right. I think part of that is, 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 uh, doing the exposure, like you mentioned and, and decreasing, Oh, okay. There's less things become unknown. So less un the, the more the patient is educated, the less anxiety the patient will have. It doesn't change the feeling, the devastation, but at the very least they understand it more and they know the path, uh, uh, forward. And so I think that's an opportunity for, um, for doctors, uh, to um, to share and educate their patient, it can only help the patient. If uh, if you have a knowledgeable patient, oh, the, the, that's a dream. You know, it's much yeah. easier to talk to patients and set their expectations. And I also have to add, you know, uh, we have to, you know, have a um, have to uh, agree, uh, or the patient has to reveal uh, what their goals are. Um, and so yes. it may not be the case where uh, dialysis is, is appropriate in, in, in certain patients. And so we have to ask patients, what, what, what are your wishes? You know, um, is, is, uh, you know, you certainly have to have your antennas up for depression and, and situational depression and some other things like that where it can influence the decision. But, um, but I think that's where the shared decision making comes in, where um, what can I realistically expect, um, you know, once I'm on dialysis as a patient and, uh, and, and, and that, that also requires, well, you know, if you're, if the patient happens to be at an advanced age, for example, uh, well, what, what is the symptom benefit, the mortality benefit and, and, uh, and so those are really tough, uh, conversations, courageous conversations that you need to have with your patient. It's not all the time where there's a clear indication for dialysis and you automatically start dialysis that yeah. I think is not showing proper respect and deference and the patient's wishes. Um, and so sometimes you have to, uh, 
have these tough conversations uh, with patients where you where you might, as a physician, not think that uh, that that the burden of dialysis is would be um, uh, too high uh, and would outweigh any potential benefits. Uh, so, uh, so that comes into play. There's been a lot of literature around. Um, oh, uh, oh, patients 75 and above, octogenarians, and and you know not that they won't do well, but there's a great fraction of patients who are of that vintage uh, who, you know, for example, might have comorbidities or they started dialysis in ICU where survival on dialysis is very poor, and so mm-hmm. uh, they just you know sometimes suffer unnecessarily, and, and it's not you know consistent with what their wishes were. Uh, so I think that's also something that we need to talk to patients about, hopefully, you know, uh, earlier than later. No, absolutely. I think those are really great points. I mean, dialysis, um, even though it's an option, it may not be the the right thing to do for certain patients. And that's definitely a conversation to be had with the patient, the provider, as well as the family members. So I think that's an, that's a really, really great point. Um, I think we've addressed pretty much all the questions for today, but I do want to open it back up to you, Dr. Workenay, before we close out. Any final comments to our audience in regards to this topic? Yeah, absolutely. So if if there's anyone out there uh, with um, uh, chronic kidney disease, um, it's good to visit a nephrologist, even if it's just once or even once a year. Um, And as the disease progresses, certainly, uh, once the GFR, the EGFR is below 30, then you should be besties with your nephrologist. Uh, in yes, other yes. words, you have to have a line uh, to your nephrologist should you ha- suffer from a complication, get regular lab work. And then certainly once your EGFR falls below 15, then certainly if the plan is not to start dialysis until there are uh, you know more advanced symptoms, uh, that uh, more frequent lab draws are, are essential because you might feel good, but you don't know what's going on um, uh, with your blood work. Sometimes, uh, you know, your blood work doesn't match the way you feel, and there might be an indication to um, start dialysis. And so, um, so and then uh, the, the second message is to educate yourself, hopefully as a physician or as a care provider, APP, whatever, nurse, um, you want to educate your patient so that they you equip them, empower them so that they can... Um, seek appropriate care when the time comes, and also to decrease their anxiety. I think that's been a recurring theme during this, uh, this chat we've had is, is you know, uh, there's a lot of anxiety out there about kidney disease, and we can lower that anxiety by educating uh, patients. And I believe podcasts like this go a long way in, in, in closing that gap. Absolutely. Excellent points, Dr. Workin. You always uh, are a wealth of knowledge for us and we, we appreciate you and thank you. Um, so thanks again for joining us today and really addressing this very important topic about initiating dialysis and, and when the right time is to do so. Um, I also want to thank the nephew community for joining in today and encourage you to please check out nephew.org for future webinars, podcasts, and events. You can also check us out on our social media platforms using the handle at Nephew Community. Thanks again, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you, Sean. Until next time. Thank you.